from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Gets it back to Hedman. Inside of Stamkos, knocks it into the corner, pushed around by points. Gutrow back to Stamkos. He scores! Yeah, Pens and Lightning getting set to play on Thursday night. That's going to be an interesting game for sure for Penguins fans coming off of the victories against Columbus and the New York Rangers. Things pointed back in the right direction for the Penguins after a few losses. Now they get the best team in the Eastern Conference and the defending Stanley Cup champions. Tim Benz with you right here on the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by BetRivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Greg Linelli of the Lightning Radio Network. He is their studio host, also the host of Lightning Power Play Live. He'll join us to break down pens and lightning. If you're a Pittsburgh sports radio listener, you remember Greg Linelli, of course. He was a colleague of mine over at ESPN Pittsburgh before moving down to Tampa Bay to man the hosting position for the Lightning broadcast and boys he had a lot of fun and seen a lot of team success and excitement in that role since he jumped down there Uh, before we get to conversation though about the pens and the lightning as I look up on the bet rivers app also go to betrivers.com pens right now underdogs in that one plus 148 to win the lightning get to pay 180 to win 100 if they're going to win that one straight up, uh, the Penguins at plus 600 to win the Metro. That's the second slot behind the Carolina Hurricanes, who are at minus 500. The Lightning at plus 350 to win the East. It's three ways up top, atop the Eastern Conference right now in the Bet Rivers odds boards. The Lightning, Panthers, and Hurricanes all at plus 350. Then the Toronto Maple Leafs at plus 500. The Lightning and... Panthers at plus 750 each to win the Stanley Cup. The Hurricanes right behind them at plus 800. The Penguins double that at plus 1600 to win the Cup. You know, you can look and see separation on the odds in the Eastern Conference. I don't see it actually on the ice, though. Uh, I think any team that makes the top eight deserves to be there, and any team in that top eight has a chance to knock off any of the other teams Uh, Even Washington in the seventh slot. Maybe Boston uh, doesn't get out from their wildcard position without really making a threat at whoever they play in the first round. That's a potential, I guess. But they tend to be such a matchup and a pain in everybody else's backside when they play them in the playoffs. So uh, I think you're going to see 
a lot of tight six, seven game series in the Eastern Conference. And I wouldn't feel that much better about putting my money down on, say, the Hurricanes than the Panthers, than the Maple Leafs, than the Lightning, uh, especially those four teams on top. Throw them in a bag, shake them up, and see which one comes out. Then I think the Pens and Rangers, it's kind of like there's an assumption already that those two teams are going to play each other. And then whoever survives, uh, they might have a good chance of beating Carolina or you know, if one of them were to get spun off as a seven seed for whatever reason, they could pose a threat if they get in the Atlantic or even if they get out of the Metro and play the Atlantic winner for the Eastern Conference. I think people look at the Rangers because of Shesterkin and they say, well, that goalie can keep you in anything. They could pull off an upset. And the Penguins, well, they've got Crosby and Malkin, so they could pull off an upset. All of that is true. Uh, I happen to like Carolina. They're still the team I'm putting my money on just because I think it's a little easier for them to get out of the Metro than it is any of those three teams in the Atlantic to survive each other. Uh, but obviously injuries and what happens at the trade deadline will affect a lot of that. And uh, if you're somebody who really does have confidence in the Rangers, I would get in on the Rangers right now. Uh, they're plus 800 to win the Metro. They're plus 1,100 to win the East. And they're plus 2,000 to win the Stanley Cup. Because that's a team I could see getting better at the trade deadline. So if you like them now, my guess is you'll really like them after the trade deadline. Because I think they're going to acquire. And I think they're going to get better roster-wise and better depth between now and when the playoffs start. But we'll get into more of that with Greg. We'll talk about the Eastern Conference at large, let alone the game uh, between the Lightning and Pens tomorrow. I want to start with football, though. Or at least continue our conversation about football here in the first segment of the Pittsburgh CityCast. And Kevin Colbert spoke at the podium in Indy at the Combine on Tuesday. And when it comes to Kevin Colbert addressing the media, I don't think he goes out of his way to lie to the media during his rare meetings with us, but I do think he avoids giving direct answers to the best of his ability. It's as if he's allergic to them, like a T.J. Watt-level kind of tree nut allergy allergic, if you know what I mean. Throughout his last NFL draft scouting combine media appearance before his retirement, Colbert, I thought, went out in top form because his Easter eggs were awfully tough to find during the Q&A on Tuesday. There was one quote, though, that stood out to me, mainly because it was about a surprising subject, a player who has given us very little to talk about heading into 2022 in terms of questions or concerns that's because he did such a nice job, seemingly, of steadying a position that was a glaring issue in 2020, and that's Najee Harris, last year's first-round pick, the running back out of Alabama. Here's exactly what Colbert said. I'll give you the quote. I hope Najee can build off of what he did for us last year. It was a good start. Now, in usual Colbert form, and assuming that was the sense that most people had of Harris's rookie season, I would have expected Colbert's response to stop there, but it didn't. He continued and said, it wasn't the start that he envisioned. I think he thinks there's more. We think there's more. But it's certainly great to have him as part of it. And that quote got a little traction in Pittsburgh because it was the first time that any Steelers upper management level employee had really ever given any sense of anything less than pure joy with Harris's rookie year. And why wouldn't everybody gush about Harris's first year? After all... He led the NFL in touches with 381. He set the team's record for yards from scrimmage by a rookie at 1667 for rushing yards, too, at an even 1,200. Yet he never fumbled during the regular season. He did lose one in the playoffs to the Kansas City Chiefs. 
He was third in the NFL in picking up first downs, rushing with 62, and for his efforts, he wound up as a Pro Bowl replacement in his first season. Plus, he did a lot of that without a very good offensive line blocking in front of him and facing defenses that were loading the box because the Steelers had that reliance on a quick-release passing game, so you know the defenders were never pushed back from the line of scrimmage ever. But while stopping short of 100% effusive praise of Harris, you know, that might have been a noticeable departure for Colbert. I think it is a noticeable departure, but I don't think he's wrong. Harris only averaged 3.9 yards per carry and 70.6 yards per game. His longest run was 37 yards, so the breakaway runs weren't often there. The game-changing element of the game didn't frequently exist. Uh, Drive-extending rushes and field-flipping carries were needed at a greater rate. Harris was stellar at taking two-yard losses and turning them into three-yard gains behind that leaky offensive line, but he wasn't special at taking a lot of five-yard runs and making them 25-yarders. And perhaps that's where Colbert was going with his less-than-scathing critique. That was by no means a rebuke of what Harris did as a rookie. Perhaps that's what Colbert is talking about when he said it wasn't the start that he envisioned. I think he thinks there's more. We think there's more. I think he's right. If that's what Harris is genuinely communicating to him, then I think Harris is right too. We saw a lot of Harris's toughness. We saw his determination. We saw his work ethic and drive, physically and mentally. What we didn't see was a ton of breakaway difference-making plays. As a first-round pick, I think that is in there. And I bet both Colbert and Harris are proven right if Harris gets some help, if the line is improved, if the passing game becomes capable of backing defenses off the line. And that's up to Colbert and the rest of Steelers' management and Coach Mike Tomlin to find the right players. If that happens... Whoever replaces Colbert won't be standing in Indianapolis a few years from now couching comments about another Pro Bowl season from Najee Harris like Colbert did yesterday. That person will be avoiding questions about if the Steelers are going to extend him and probably back up the Brinks truck to do so, but probably not as skillfully as Colbert always has. That'll be an interesting dynamic when we talk about who takes over for Kevin Colbert after his retirement following the draft. All right, when we come back, a uh, little bit more football talk, actually. I want to get into the overtime discussion, how that impacts gambling. Then we'll get to Greg Linelli talking about the Penguins and the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's still to come 30 seconds from now on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thanks for staying with us on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Tim Ben still with you here. We'll get to Greg Linnelli in just a second to talk about Lightning and Penguins. Their game Thursday night in Tampa. Penn's coming off of two straight victories against the Blue Jackets and the Rangers. But I wanted to stick with football for the time being and get to the debate over the NFL and its overtime rules. I, I don't really care if the NFL's competition committee decides that changes are necessary for overtime rules. I just want a rule in place 
that precludes everybody from complaining about them. Is that possible? Because it seems like every season we wind up whining over whatever overtime rules are currently in place as a result of an extra session of playoff results that we just don't happen to like. Call me skeptical, but I don't see human nature changing just because the rules might change. According to Judy Batista of the NFL Network earlier in the week, the competition committee is meeting this week in Indy to discuss several subjects, and Rich McKay said that no question changes to overtime will be brought up. This is largely, of course, a reaction to how that Kansas City Chiefs-Buffalo Bills game went in overtime of the 42-36 divisional round showdown between those two clubs. After a wild fourth quarter that featured 28 points with both offenses moving up and down the field at will in the waning moments, Buffalo never got to touch the ball in overtime. That's because under current NFL rules, the team that wins the coin toss in overtime can extend the game if they score a touchdown on their first possession. The Chiefs did exactly that, and the Bills never got to play offense. Of course, the great irony is that Kansas City suggested a rules change to overtime after the same thing happened to them on a similar occasion in the playoffs against the New England Patriots back in 2019. Back then, the Chiefs lost an overtime affair 37-31 in New England when the Patriots won the coin toss and Tom Brady led a game-ending scoring drive with Casey's offense never getting to go on the field. So isn't that ironic? According to NFL research cited by Batista, under these rules, coin toss winners came out victorious in 52.8% of overtime games. Pretty even. In the postseason exclusively, however, coin toss winners are 10-1. and Now that shouldn't be a surprise. If you are in the playoffs, that usually means better quarterbacks, Hence, more chances for a first possession touchdown. I remember making this exact complaint when the rules were changed in 2010. Before then, all a winning team needed was to get a field goal after winning the coin toss, which felt even more disproportionate. But if possession is the big thing and minimizing the impact of the coin toss is what matters, why didn't they mandate at least one touch offensively per team in the first place back in 2010? We all knew the potential for this level of discontent was going to come to fruition eventually, right? One concern was about player safety. If a game that went beyond 60 minutes had the potential to end after 65 minutes or so in overtime, why give the coin flip loser a chance to push it beyond 70 in the playoffs or just create a tie with another touchdown in an era when we're trying to minimize player risk? A second issue was a perceived concern over games, especially those in the playoffs, bleeding into the next broadcast window and potentially splitting audiences for an indeterminable amount of time. How could either of those topics suddenly be less of an issue now? What changed? The answer is nothing. But we just feel like complaining. And let's say an adjustment is made to let both teams touch the ball once. If the Bills and Chiefs do it all over again next January, is it any more fair if they both score a touchdown on their initial possession of overtime and the coin flip winner kicks a field goal on the third one? Are we going to complain about that kind of outcome next? Well, Team X got it twice and Team Y only got it once. Do the offensive possessions have to be equal before we're happy? Do we have to treat NFL overtime like baseball innings where everyone gets a fair number of at-bats? If so, let's just adopt a modified version of the college overtime rules now and skip the middle step because I'm tired of the constant complaints. If that's what you want, then play untimed like the college kids do. Just have the drives start back at the 
offensive 40-yard line or midfield to minimize too much of a reliance on NFL-quality kickers or put the ball at the 25-yard line and make kicking illegal, at least no field goals, just touchdowns or bust. However, if the NFL decides to restructure overtime, the coaches, players, media, and fans need to understand there is no perfect system. Things will be flawed either in practicality, fairness, or injury risk. The competition committee just needs to prioritize what it deems to be the most important. Is fair the most important? Well, if fair is the most important, then go ahead and change things. But then I don't want to be here in two years, three years from now, seeing yet another change to overtime because somebody got hurt in the 67th minute on the second possession of an overtime after Team X got the ball first and scored a touchdown. I say give each team at least one possession in both the regular season and the playoffs. Keep the clock at 10 minutes for regular season games. If it's tied after 10 minutes, it's tied. And frankly, that might lead to more people wanting to change the rule back because we're going to get too many ties. Maybe you do just make it 15 minutes in both, but I'd definitely have it be 15 minutes in overtime for the playoffs. That makes it more likely a game ends in one overtime as opposed to starting all over again in overtime number two. And then you really get into issues potentially with a playoff game cutting into the next playoff game. If it does go to two overtimes in a playoff game, though, tough. Next score wins, sudden death like the old days. Field goal, kick return for a touchdown, whatever. You can only be so fair for so long. And how this ties into betting is, like, for instance, a team that's a five-point favorite that got to overtime and ended up winning the coin toss, goes down, scores a touchdown, In this season, you're celebrating because you won by six. Next season, maybe then that team has to kick off again. They kick off, the other team comes back and scores, and you're walking away with a tie, or there's not a lot of time left, and then your team comes down and kicks a field goal. They only win by three, and you don't cover. So you'll see a lot of gambling results go south that way, if in fact that's what they adopt, or over-unders. So few people bet unders because they're just no fun to bet. So this isn't necessarily being looked at from the viewpoint of, well, people who bet unders are going to get screwed. They are, of course, but there's just not a lot of them. What's more practical and relatable to gambling is it keeps the over people in it longer if a game ended in regulation without much hope of getting to the over. Now there's a hell of a lot more hope to do so. So obviously, clearly, without even getting into props and individual game performances and things of that ilk, Boy, there are ramifications all over the place potentially there for individual numbers to be hit in overtime because those stats count too. Uh, There's just a few on the basic gambling lines about how things will be affected if there is an extension to overtime rules, and that's exactly how it should be said. It's an extension. You're extending the game, and that's just taboo to say these days because we're all supposed to be allegedly caring about player safety. All right, let's get to Greg Linnelli. I said we talked some Penguins and Lightning. Let's do that right now. Greg Linnelli from the... Lightning Radio Network. He's the game day host for the Lightning Radio Network, also host of Lightning Power Play Live, a Duquesne Duke product, as well as an alum of ESPN Pittsburgh right here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Gregors, what would be the bigger story if the Montreal Canadiens would sneak up and surpass the Lightning to win the Atlantic or if Duquesne wins the A-10 tournament? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go if, if Duquesne, Duquesne snuck up on some people and won the Atlantic 10 tournament, even if I was their point guard, I'm not sure that would happen. <laughs> Who the heck knows? 
I mean, I, you know, I try and follow from a distance. It's really, I feel like, hard to follow what's happening with college basketball in Western PA. I think you and I yeah. were talking about it off the air. I mean, it is, it is drastically different from when I left Pittsburgh 10 plus years ago. And, and maybe that is the decline. It is me not being able to cover right. these teams, as you would know, Benzie. Yeah, your karma, your basketball karma leaving yes. and going to Florida. Look at all that's happened in Florida since you went down there. The, the Rays got good. The Lightning have won cups. Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay and won a Super Bowl. I, I think we found the answer. Well, you know, Antonio Brown took a shirt off and quit in the middle of the game. So we still had a little bit of controversy. But, yeah, I know I agree with you. I'm the lucky charm. You know, what you, what you bring up about college basketball, it's funny you mentioned that in that context because I'm writing about that for Friday. I'm doing a piece because I just happen to be, you know, sitting around crying in my beer because Syracuse had just blown another lead and managed to gag against North Carolina. And sure enough, across yeah. my Twitter timeline comes, uh, do you follow that old Big East feed by any chance? I, you know what? I see it pop up sometimes. Yeah, the Big East nostalgia feed. So yeah. they yeah. simply put up a bracket of the Big East tournament in 1996. And I almost broke down in tears. I mean, it was, was like... Jason Mail? Was Jason Mail part of that? <laughs> I think that might have, no, that was a Mark Blunt team, if I remember correctly. I think Mark J- Blunt. I think Jason Mayo was gone, yeah. Pitt was still right. Pitt back then. They were like the 13th seed, but we're talking. Was about- Jerry McCullough leading the way at the point guard position? He might have been. He might have been. You know? You know, there's another legendary point guard aside from yourself in Pittsburgh history. <laughs> but that was the uh, Ray Allen versus Allen Iverson final at the at oh Madison Square Garden. Uh, Kerry yes. Kittles and Villanova had been number one that year. Syracuse went to the Final Four that year and lost to Kentucky in the championship game. I mean... Was that was that the year where Boston College was pretty... Like, Troy, yes. was it Troy Bell? No, it wasn't a Troy Bell. I think that was a Donya Abrams-Scooney Penn year, if I remember Donny correctly. Donya Abrams, yes, yes. <laughs> Love that. Power the, forward. The Big East was Tremendous. so good back then. So it good. It was. It was so. Yeah, that was my road down nostalgia. So I'll be uh, wax. You. I'll be waxing about that. But uh, no need for nostalgia for you, as we talked about. Tampa Bay is very much at the forefront of all things current in sports. Yeah. Uh, maybe not baseball because of the lockout, but everybody's going through that. Maybe we can get to that at the end of the uh, conversation. Sure. Let's talk about the Lightning and where they are, and that is atop the Atlantic Division. Do you see, because I'm looking right now, it's Tampa Bay, Florida, and Toronto at the time that we are taping up anyway. 76, 75, and 74 points, respectively. Yeah. Um, the Leafs, I think, have one game. No, I take that back. The, the Lightning have played one fewer game than those other teams. Um, what is the level of separation, if any, between those teams? Do you see one of the three breaking away? Is it the Lightning, or is this a three-dog race all the way to the end in the Atlantic? You know, I think... I think people looked at the Panthers as one of the teams who could compete with the Lightning this year coming out of the Eastern Conference. I think that made some sense. The Panthers are as deep as any team out there. Uh, I think we may be seeing some cracks a little bit defensively, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do, if anything, at the trade deadline. For me, the question always comes down to goaltending. The Lightning don't have any questions in that. I think those teams that you had just mentioned, Toronto and Florida – I think there are some questions to various degrees. And is it a two-dog race? I I tend to think the two best teams in that division uh, or in the Atlantic are Tampa Bay and Florida. I think Toronto's improved. I think Toronto's more flawed, and I think their goaltender in Campbell is more unproven than the other two guys, certainly Andre Vasilevsky. So 
Uh, Benzi, as I've said many times on my talk show, Noon to One on Lightning Power Play, I don't think it really matters for the Lightning where they finish in the Atlantic Division. And I, I stand by that. I think it's impressive to where they are right now, considering how many games they've played over the last two years and the fact that they've had Kucherov and Braden Points and Eric Chernak miss a good portion of the season for various reasons. I, I think it speaks to how deep they are and how outstanding their goaltender really is. But for me, I think it is Florida and Tampa Bay. But I will tell you this. If the Lightning finished third... I don't think it matters one bit what happens in the playoffs. If the Lightning should somehow play the Rangers, either in a conference final or maybe if the Rangers stumble and wind up on that side of the bracket as the wild mm-hmm. card, and Shesterkin were to play against Vasilevsky, would anybody ever score in the best of seven? <laughs> It'd be a fun one. It would be a fun one. I feel you know, like that I, would be like one long cricket match, you know, like where it would take a matter yeah. of days. Um, I, I've had some people tell me that Shesterkin would be the second best goaltender in the league that he is kind of it's Vassy Shesterkin and then almost everybody else now Tristan Jari obviously is playing very well and maybe he eventually puts himself into a conversation with those goaltenders if he has a decent playoff this year and I'm sure we'll get into him the thing about the Rangers and I think you might have touched on this with Mark the other day during your show on Mondays that I listened to I mean, the Rangers do have the ability to make some moves because of their cap situation. Right, yeah. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, some would say, you know, do you address, you know, a, a little bit more defense? Um, maybe you get, you know, some veterans in there that can complement some of their younger guys. I don't know. You know, anything can happen in the playoffs. My thing would be, I think, the Lightning's experience and knowing how to win and then having that goaltender who is just – nails when it comes to clinching games uh, in Andre Vasilevsky would be a tough obstacle for them to overcome. But no doubt, Shesterkin would give would give the Rangers a fighting chance. I don't know if it would be a great chance, though. When you mentioned making moves the deadline, you quickly alluded to what the Lightning might do. Um, what's the word down there? What, what are they shopping for? You say some defense? Well, you know, they're, they're strapped as most contending teams are, which isn't a surprise, but they're not going to, they're not, I don't think they're going to trade anybody who is up for free agency at the end of the year because they want to be cap compliant for next year. I think for me, because of the injuries we have seen this year to Eric Chernak and Zach Bogosian, Chernak's a top four defenseman who is physical and it's really, they don't have anybody like him. I mean, he's a guy that will engage you physically. He blocks a lot of shots. He's been nicked up this year a bit more than, I think they would like. Bogosian's more of a depth piece, but also has been brought in to be that sixth defenseman. He's a righty. He's also big and physical. They've been banged up a little bit more than I think you'd feel comfortable looking at. So for me, I think it would be one of two things. A depth defenseman or a depth forward who can win some faceoffs. And I think, look, that's not asking a ton. Um, I'm not giving you a a ton of options because I don't think the Lightning are really a flawed team, all things considered. And the reason they're not a flawed team is because of what happened in the offseason when they brought Corey Perry in and Pierre-Edouard Belmar. This fourth line that they have, if you want to call it a fourth line, with Perry, Maroon, and Belmar has been together all year, basically. Perry's got 15 goals. And this is a line that basically took the place of the Yanni Gord line the last two years, Benzie, that was so effective winning back-to-back ups. It was Gord, Coleman, and Barkley Goodrow, speaking of the Rangers. All those guys left. 
because the Lightning couldn't afford to keep him. So the Lightning decided, all right, let's go get Corey Perry. Let's get Belmar. And they had Pat Maroon. And that line's been fantastic. And it's been a big reason why they've been able to be atop the standings this year. Looking of late, especially during their five-game win streak here, they're doing what they should do. They're beating teams that they should beat. Um, in fact, if you go all the way back to, what was it, the 10th of January, which is their last canceled game, I, I feel like they're doing now what the Penguins did in December and January, which is beat up on a lot of the West, take care of the Eastern teams that are soft, and uh, if you're going to lose, maybe try to gather a point or at least play well against the good teams, and that's exactly what they've done. I mean, my gosh, they haven't lost a game by more than one goal since January the 21st? Yeah, I mean, it's it's remarkably consistent. And the interesting thing is you take a look at the month of February. They played, what, five, six games? Just a weird schedule because of the break. And now, starting last night, 31 games in 60 days. Mm. So you're right. I mean, they got off to a good start. They're beating teams they should. But I think their level of play has been so consistent this year it speaks to, I think, the depth and the star power. One of the reasons why they've been able to be this good, in addition to you know their goaltender, Hedman, Kucherov is dynamic when he's healthy. Steven Stamkos, look at his numbers this year. Steven Stamkos, arguably, this generation, Benzi, let's say since Crosby and Ovechkin came into the league, mm-hmm. you could make a strong case Stamkos might have been the second best pure goal scorer of the last 15 years. Injuries have taken its toll, but now he's healthy. And he's playing at a dynamite level to the point where I think they're going to move him to center maybe and keep him there. There was some talk, you know, he was playing on the wing, playing with Anthony Sorelli, take a little pressure off him. But Stamkos basically said in the offseason, I was able to train, I was able to get rest, and he's having a dynamite season. A big reason why I think they're going to be a tough matchup when you take a look at their lines one through four. Greg Linelli with us. Again, he is the host of Lightning Power Play Live. Penn's taking on the Bolts as we get set for a big game on Thursday night. I'm just kind of trying to put a frame around where they are versus Florida and, you know, sort of the rivalry that exists between the two th- the two teams. I mean, you tell me, you, you grew up around Pittsburgh Flyers. I mean, is there mm-hmm. intensity? Is there hatred? Is it oh, yeah. sort of is it just fun because it's the two Florida teams that are this good? I mean, you tell me, what's what's the tenacity like between the two Florida teams right now? It's high, and it's high because they met in the playoffs. I mean, the, the geographical thing is nice, but if you're not meeting in the playoffs, it doesn't really matter. And Florida, to their credit, the last couple of years have gotten a lot better. This this rivalry is very high. I don't I don't know if I'm going to compare it to, you know, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Washington. I think those those series and those teams and their rivalries that marinates throughout a, a few years. But this has the potential to be right there, and they're really good. I mean, that's the thing. It's nasty when they play. There's high end skill, and you know, let's face it, the Lightning beat them. So there's a chip on Florida's shoulder. They understand if. If they want to win a Stanley Cup, most likely they're going to have to go through Tampa Bay. And I think it has the makings of being close to what we saw with Pittsburgh and Philly and maybe even Pittsburgh and Washington. Is the bigger concern in Tampa right now, like if you ask the average Lightning fan, will they say that the bigger challenge is going to be to emerge from the Atlantic or is the bigger concern perhaps trying to get by the Hurricanes on the other side of the bracket? 
Yeah, I think I think honestly, I think Florida is a hurdle. I do. For me, I think the Florida Panthers have the star power. I think they have playmakers that can make you very uncomfortable. Not to take anything from Carolina, because I think Carolina plays the same way. I know Pittsburgh just saw Carolina. They're a really good team. And the Lightning beat both of them last year. And the reason they beat both of them last year, there were goaltending question marks. There's not a lot that separates these teams once you get into the playoffs. But Carolina, I think, has question marks. And I think Florida has question marks in the playoffs. Benzie, understand, the Panthers used three goaltenders last year against Tampa Bay in the first round. Mm. Three. The Lightning don't have any questions when it comes to their goaltender. And I I think the same thing could be said for Carolina. They've got proven guys, but when you go against the best in the world, you can't let in a bad goal. And we saw that last year in both series. At times, they both made the Lightning look uncomfortable. Their power plays could be very good. The speed, no doubt, high-end talent. Vassy was giving up three or four goals a game. But you know what? Their goaltender was giving up four to five because they weren't making key saves at the right time. For me, it's goaltending. I think the Panthers are a bit better than Carolina, but that's just my opinion. I don't think by much. And I think because of the rivalry, to me, that would be the biggest obstacle. How's Elliott been in games where he's had to play? He's been solid. Yeah, yeah, he's been solid. He's gotten better every time he's been in there. It's a tough situation for him because he could go a month without playing just the way the schedule's been. But he's been good. I mean, he, as a backup goaltender, he's exactly what you want. He gives him a chance to win. Obviously, you're comparing him to Vassy in some nights. That's unfair. But for the most part, I think he's been very solid. Last thing, Gregor, as, as it relates to um, Kucherov and actually any of the Russian yeah. guys on the team, are they – sort of getting what uh, Ovechkin's getting in Washington when it comes to, you know, the attention surrounding what's going on with the Ukraine? Yeah, I, it's, it's a weird situation. Nobody's brought it up. And, you know, I don't know if that's just out of respect for the players or if it's just, what are they going to say? You know, I, I know you've talked about this before. I think it's... <sighs> we, we oftentimes in sports want to say that politics and sports don't mix. I think that's false. I think that's always been false. I think we pick and choose what politics we want to talk about when it comes to sports. If you don't believe me, just take a look at the NFL and the NBA. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm not telling you that's right or wrong. I just think that's kind of where we are. At some point, will it come up? I don't know. But let me just say this. If we're going to talk about this and ask these Russian players or penalize Russian players for something they're really not part of, then that doesn't that open us up to a lot of other topics right? <laughs> that might just be more impactful. That Look, it may make some people uncomfortable, and I would just tell people out there what's going on. It's awful. Nobody wants to see war. But I got to tell you, probably 95% of the people don't know what they're talking about. Right. You know, because you just can't get right information. But my, my thing is if we're going to start opening these things up for discussion and you want to start penalizing Russian players over here – and I'm not saying that's what you were saying, Benzi. I'm saying that's, you know, you're seeing some of these conversations. Well, then, is it is it fair game to bring up some other stuff that might make you uncomfortable when it comes to politics and sports? And do we need to have a hard conversation about those, too? 
What else is going on in Tampa, Greg? Uh, what's the thinking behind Brady's retirement? What are Rays fans saying about the state of baseball, given what their team is like? Because um, here in Pittsburgh, it's like, great, cancel the season. You know, like, <laughs> I, I'm leading that charge. What, what are we going to do? Miss another 105 yeah. lost season? Like, come back, fix like hockey did in 05. That's, that's what I think I'm thinking. Brady, I think with Brady first, I, I don't think he's coming back, at least from the people I talk to who cover the team. But then again... That could change. I, I don't know. My sense is he's not coming back. I think with the Rays, you know, they're dealing with a lot from, you know, perhaps missing the start of the season to conversations about where they're going to play. I mean, it, it's a weird situation. I think a lot of people feel like baseball is just tone deaf to what is happening in the world today, meaning there have been a lot of people affected over the last couple of years trying to make ends meet because of COVID and shutting down businesses and they're seeing inflation being really high and their dollar is not just going as far. And you see a bunch of billionaires and millionaires squabbling over whatever they're squabbling over. I think a lot of people were just kind of like, whatever. All right. You know, you want to lose me? I'll go watch the lightning. That's what we're going to do. And I, 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 I don't know how much – I mean certainly it affects the economy – for sure, uh, especially here in Tampa, a small market team. But I think a lot of people, I think with baseball, are probably like, you know what? All right, you guys want to do you, that's fine, but don't expect me to come to a lot of games. Greg, as always, thanks for the time. I hope you find some time uh, during the course of next week to uh, watch the Dukes charge through the A-10 tournament, uh, carve out a few opportunities to watch some games as they uh, put themselves in the bubble, okay? I'm actually going to go to the gym right now and start working on my three-point game. I'll be on call if they need me. I'll be on call. Yes, thanks to Greg Linelli. Duquesne, by the way, seven-and-a-half-point dogs at George Washington. Uh, the hidden vigorous coming in here, potentially. At some point, the Dukes just have to cover, right? At some point, the Dukes just have to pull off an upset and win. Uh, maybe tonight at George Washington, although George Washington looked really good against Duquesne uh, at the UPMC Cooper Fieldhouse. A few weeks ago, George Washington looked very impressive, and Duquesne now playing without Trey Williams, too. So uh, that's probably not a bet I would make on the Dukes at minus 110 to cover at plus 7.5. The money line on George Washington, minus 360. I don't know if GW is good enough in your mind to take the money line and not worry about the points. Uh, If I'm playing George Washington, uh, just based on the matchups that we saw last time out for GW and their ability to guard the three and hit the three uh, against Duquesne, I would feel comfortable with uh, minus seven and a half for the Colonials against the Dukes. Meanwhile, Pitt, I thought they might cover against Duke last night at the Peterson Event Center. No such luck. The Blue Devils blew their doors off, and Mike Krzyzewski had a fine, enjoyable night in his final road game for Duke. Don't be surprised if you see Duke come back here in the first round of the NCAA tournament with games being held at PPG Paints Arena, the whole local connection with Shashevsky that was written about again today at Trib Live that you can read. Uh, I had a teaser last night that blew up in my face going back to hockey. I had the Red Wings and the Hurricanes. I had the Hurricanes straight along with the Lightning. The Lightning came through. The Hurricanes did not, and they lost 4-3 to to Detroit. Mike Pursuta, who's going to join us on the Pittsburgh CityCast tomorrow, he had like a five-teamer going that blew up four different ways, and I thought it couldn't lose. He had the same hockey pairing that I had with the Lightning and the Hurricanes, 
but he also mixed in Robert Morris beating Youngstown State, IUPUI with their five players being unable to cover against Oakland. They did somehow. It was 23 points on the spread. Uh, that one came out of nowhere. That didn't work. And I think he had Nebraska and Ohio State, and Nebraska ended up upsetting the Buckeyes for only, what, their 10th win of the season? So, uh, yeah, rough night on that teaser. It's a good thing you can only lose a teaser one way. You know, sometimes when you win a bet and you, like, double the point spread, you think you should be paid out double, you never say, you know what, I should I should pay four times in this five-team teaser. But <laughs> fortunately for Mike, he's not going to have to go down that path. We'll talk about it tomorrow when he joins us. Until then, enjoy the Duquesne game tonight. Enjoy the hockey game tomorrow night. And also got Penguins coming up against the Hurricanes again on Friday. So plenty to talk about with Mike. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.